Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Shanae Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Welcome back to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. I'm Shanae Trudeau here with Bhavani Maki for another conversation from the heart. Your attention is the most precious commodity. Thank you so much for choosing to listen in with us today on the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. Bhavani, what a joy and an honor to spend time with you and see your face. <laughs> As we say in Greek, epicis, which means right back at you. I feel the same way. <laughs> So I want to read your words to you and have you expand on them further, if you would, please. In your book, you write, the practice of yoga and the experience of being in yoga are one and the same. When I first read these words in your book, I felt a deep sense of relief, like, oh my God, I don't have to work so hard to do yoga. And I keep coming back to this phrase over and over again. Can you say more? Absolutely. First of all, I can't take credit. Um, that is from Mircea Eliade, who I've mentioned many times. And uh, he was a professor of comparative religions and also delved really deeply into um, archetypes, themes. Um, you know, he was one of the OGs before Joseph Campbell. He studied shamanism and traditions of original peoples, as well as, um, you know, kind of consistent themes that reveal. And his book, I just pulled it off the shelf. Um, now I'm not finding where it is, but it's, um, it's not a direct translation, a linear translation of the sutra, 
but it speaks about the shamanic tradition, the indigenous tradition of the Yoga Sutra. So um, in it, yeah, and he, he refers to, so it's an interesting thing to relay because there needs to be a certain um, level of understanding. And actually, as I say that, I think that there's there's some real import to that because, wow, that sounds really easy, doesn't it? But again, our level of experience and the depth of experience going from superficial to deep, extrinsic to intrinsic, um, from the egoic structure, even into the relationship structure, depends on our depth of study. And so this is where the yogin commits to a course of regular study. And, you know, as I, you know, as I shared, it's like each pada is meant to be studied for 10 years at a time. So, and then that's not like where you're just touching upon it, but regular um, study. So as you expand your nomenclature, your cosmology, as you begin to really, and it's not just book learning, but there's practice as well. And you're in this state of, you know, learning we do through repetition and um, the refinement of our questions. Okay. So the word that Patanjali uses and Mirtia Eliad uses is Samadhi. And of course, Samadhi is an umbrella term. Um, so there's, there's a lot of layers. And even if we feel like, oh, I have a, you know, I had a supernormal experience or I had a transcendent experience, um, I had a blissful experience. The beauty of the Yoga Sutra is that he goes into deeper elucidation and helps you to realize, okay, you know, there's there's more. Let's keep going. So really, um, a more accurate quote would be the practice of Samadhi is the experience of Samadhi. And practice being um, you know, to put things into practice. It's not so much like I'm doing a trial run. <laughs> um, it's also, of course, practical methodology. We're given, you know, we're, we're taught how the practices are done. And there's plenty of that out in the world. And there's, of course, different skill sets. Um, there's there's you know many layers that we can we can access through that but then really i forgot what i was going to say there um but also understanding that um you know when we're working with yoga as patanjali says it's an endless process now the more we invest ourselves in something the more interested we're going to become. So Samadhi is a multi-layered experience. And that's why I love, you know, the, you know, that's why I'm I'm a lifer. Like I'm committed to life. And people say, oh, why don't you study this tech or that text? And it's like, I'd rather go half an inch wide and a mile deep. And then it's like you start to connect into, it's almost like I feel like the mitochondria 
in which there's this deeper transmission, there's this natural language, and other things really um, kind of fill in the spaces. So it's not unilateral or limited, but I also know that sometimes things can get so big that it can get confusing. And this works for me. I've seen it work for so many other people. So let's look at the etymology of the word samadhi, which of course is gonna be an oversimplification. Sama means to make whole, to put together with. And the etymology of health is whole. It's, it's, um, it's seeing the bigger picture. And so it's even like recognizing, you know, and this is so beautiful because the sutra fill in these gaps, right? And they're multi-layered that we're going to even see what's missing and see that part of our, as part of our wholeness. The fact that we know things are missing, we may not be able to put our finger onto things, but this is where we start to develop. We go into more of an intuitive state. Many people confuse intuitive state or something as being an intuitive state when in fact they're really in the inertia of patterning so that patanjali says you know takes much seasoned inquiry to explore what is authentic and what is really some kind of an embedded um, vritti or knee-jerk reaction, bias, opinion, or concept. Then we have dihi, which means to hold. It means, um, it also means to integrate. So it's a continuous state of reintegration because the nature of consciousness is expansive. And expansive doesn't, you know, bigger, meaning it's big enough to hold like all of the minutiae as well and the details. Um, and so, again, you know, these are things that we can't really describe. It's really about having your own experience. And when you have a guide, and you have somebody who's like seasoned in that inquiry. Um, and then you, you have to have the commitment. You have to have um, a positive attitude and then stamina. So it's really this kind of like journey without beginning or end. But let's, let's tight trade it down again. So if the practice of samadhi, in parentheses yoga, <laughs> is the experience of samadhi, in parentheses yoga, the, the putting into practice your continuous integration. And integration means that we're like integrating all the little pieces and the little parts, samadhi pada, right? And so it's never a static state. In fact, it's enstatic, <laughs> in which the, the profundity, the intensity, as Mircha Eliad 
describes it is you realize kind of like that mitochondria that there's everything has its place and has its function and there's this incredible mandala this this you know energetic um nexus and organism that is not random but is really like highly refined i i think of it like a swiss clock like everything is affecting each other and there's kind of a sense of balance and there's there's transmission happening within that um that we actually it's it's so big and i i've quoted from Mihal chicks in his book flow that the way that the ordinary brain processes information it's so um magnanimous that we can't even hold on to our idea of self so it's really hard to talk about these things you know but luckily we've been given you know as my husband ray put the indescribable has been well described and then we go and we put it into practice and then life will work us and test us and push us to another layer right to really like you know see okay i thought i was solid there well i need to check again or i'm i'm a you know i'm nature is pulling on me to diversify and grow and that's our next sutra in kaivalyapada yeah in the mentorship thank you so much well said (laughs) so myself i am a recovering perfectionist and i'd wonder if you would give me something to work with because i'm sure i'm not alone and the nexus point being, how do I really let go as a person who has for my whole life wanted to get it just right? <laughs> you know, I think um, also being a recovering perfectionist, the practice of recovery is the experience of recovery. <laughs> Let's think about that. What are we recovering? We're recovering our wholeness again. And really what um, was one of those like soul rewiring moments for me was to realize how I use perfectionism and how perfectionism had been imposed upon me as a means of breaking off intimacy. Just sit with that for a moment. Because when it's never good enough, we don't really have to let someone in or appreciate where they are or who they are. And, you know, I'm so delighted to be finally opening the Kaivalyapada, which again is assuming that you've had lots of um, integration and practice, let's say 20 years on the first two Pada. Okay. Um, in the seventh sutra, it says, 
Karma Shukla Krishnam Yogina Trividamitaresham. Akrishna means not black. Ashukla means not white. Karma is no longer black and white. And so when we create these standards, and they're impossible standards, right? The impossible standard of perfection. That's not for us to say. And, you know, as I was sharing in that David White um, poem in, on courage this past weekend in Durango, the piece that really like landed so deeply for me is that it's only when we look back in life does something look like courage. And maybe the same thing is true for perfection. So kaivalya, which is this um, end of striving, that doesn't mean that you don't still do the work and hold a high level. Like there's a difference between perfection and excellence, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so excellence is open to feedback. It's penetrable. It realizes there's like joy in refinement. There's joy in um, due diligence and then really showing up in a way that's not casual, but in a way in which you really are making, you're, you're offering into and you're offering the best that you got at any given moment. And it doesn't mean that you can't do better in the future, but we're not there yet. So, you know, what I, I feel like where it really landed for me was again, realizing how not only was I holding that standard for myself, but where I was also doing it for my husband. And it's like, oh, well, you missed this, or did you do that? And it was like, I could just see where I was, um, pushing him away and creating this impenetrable barrier. And then I had to look at how I had turned that in on myself. Um, I love what, you know, in the documentary on Mr. Rogers, and he said, it's so great. And one of the, you know, and I grew up on that and it was fantastic. And when you look at the documentary, you realize how many boundaries he pushed. But one thing that he started every show with when he was sitting with, you know, when he was singing to us as little children is, I love you just the way you are. And I remember taking that in and um, I was like, I need to say that to my son more. And the first time I said it to him, I could see that like time stopped and something opened up in him. Because of course, as his parent, it's my duty to instruct him and raise the bar for him, but also to let him know that I think he's like beautiful, just the way he is. And we're all a work in progress. So the, um, you know, the like slogan or the mantra is about progress and not perfection. Yeah. 
what comes to me sometimes is because um, the yogic texts are full of this word perfection. Um, <clears throat> and maybe you can clarify for me what the Sanskrit word is. I don't know for sure reading. Um, I don't know, but what I've, what I've kind of translated it in my mind to is uh, completion or wholeness which is a very different flavor <laughs> than perfection. And it's probably just, you know, you know, semantics in my mind, but um, really looking at it more in this way of excellence or, you know, a job well done or in this way of completion or fullness, like you said, giving it, you know, the best that I have at this point in time. Yeah, I would agree with that. And um you know, I just quickly asked the oracle, because I'm not <laughs> a Sanskrit scholar. I mean, let's get that clear. Yeah. I have sufficient literary fluency to be able to, um, you know, take the download, the yoga sutras, and get what is pertinent to me. So, um, you know, I'm on like a need to know basis kind of a thing. And so I did just Google it. And the word that, um, and it's interesting, it came up under um, the Samskrita for perfection, but it's a Buddhist site. So who knows if it's Pali, I can't even, you know, on the fly here, tell you how accurate this is, but it says the word is Paramita. Uh -huh. <coughs> now, um, I haven't seen like, I haven't seen, and I'd have to do a deeper, deeper investigation, the word perfection per se in yoga, it's often mm -hmm. something that is intimated in translations, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I would, I would agree that it's like sama, which is wholeness. Um, yeah. Para has the same root as the Greek, which means beyond. So it implies, you know, that it is a progressive thing. It's a sense of polishing um, and that that polishing, and we all know you polish something and then karmic dust lands on it. So <laughs> I would have to agree. Um, yeah, and it's really interesting because I think Ben Kateshananda describes it, describe, described it like the most um, poignantly for me, which is where we, he said, you got to be careful about labels and words because we put a load on them. Okay. So depending on our own experience, we then fill in the gaps around the feeling where we heard it, where this, maybe it wasn't even said, but it was intimated and there was a standard. And usually it was in regards to not measuring up or maybe you were the perfect one and it was used in a way passively mm -hmm. to indicate that somebody else was imperfect. So again, it's not black or white. There's a huge gray area. And, um, you know, yeah. And so I think it's really good to ask these questions. And you brought this up some time ago. And, uh, 
you know, it's like when I, whenever I use that word, I always put the air quotes, you know, because again, my idea, and this is a huge thing too, my idea of what's perfect may not be somebody else's. You know, my idea of what clean dishes look like versus my child or my husband's might be quite different. So again, it's the standards that are, um, you know, that we hold. But really, I think it is about, you know, it's that polishing and it's it's not about a, a finished product. It's the love that we put in. It's the care that we put in. And I feel really grateful about that, having had a background in um, classical music, right? Mm-hmm. Like even in your dance. Yeah. Was it ever perfect? No, but it was good enough. Mm-hmm. It was good enough. It was performance worthy. And then there was possibilities for magic. Yeah. You know, then you start to go to another layer, which is like, what what is coming through this? You know, the intention of that. And then even getting lost in the experience. I love how these, this topic is folding in and out of itself, where we don't even have the idea of being the doer because, and it's not even, even an idea that we have an idea of not being the do, doer, but we are literally, um, you know, like in the flow or carried away, or we dissolve into the experience. Um, and that is that sense of ecstasy it reminds me of really being present like there's no other way to do it except in the moment and to bring all like you say often like all parts of myself forward now (laughs) yoga now you know samadhi now it's it's happening in this present moment and where it's like i fall short is when i'm always thinking to the next thing or regretting what I did in the past. And isn't it wonderful that like in the, um, you know, in the more roots traditions, you always start with an invocation, you know, and I know I do that. It's like when I'm stepping into something big and I feel that every time I'm sharing yoga, certainly a workshop or training or a sutra, I'm like calling in all angels or, you know, the the beings through which the transmission came in, because I know as much as I'm prepared, there's an energy that takes over. And the more that, you know, if I've done my due diligence, and I'm always way over prepared, because I don't want to like be stumped. I know <laughs> I'm never going to cover it all then there's something that starts to happen and it's like this alchemy of who's present. Um, And so, yeah, I love what you said about bringing all parts of yourself. So really showing up. And again, I feel like, you know, there's nothing casual about it. This is art. This is something that like, I, you know, I've, I've really, explored and developed and practiced and studied and it's an ongoing 
thing. You know, it's like any kind of artist, they're not just going to be like, oh, I just need to paint that one masterpiece and finish. They do that. And then there's something inside of them, which is like, oh my God, now I've raised the bar. What's next? You know? Um, and, and that's a healthy tension, like, okay, you know, there's something that's, that there's, as we spoke about yesterday, that quickening, that something like flutters inside of us. So, you know, so much of um, what I love in the sutras is it invites us to reframe these things. It's not bad. It's not good. How do you feel about it? And then to start doing some unearthing behind that. Um, Have you really shown up? And maybe you are doing the work and you are practicing and you don't take it casually. But is it really an offering from your intrinsic self? You know, also, um, you know, we can bring in that, that teaching of like in the in the um, Islamic tradition and the prayer carpets, that there was the intention of creating a mistake, because when you create a perfect product, it's almost like you're trying to deify yourself. And I think I share that you know my my dad growing up in Greece and he was you know very very bright young student that even when he got 100% on an exam, the teachers always knocked a point off. Wow. Yeah. So there's beauty in that, you know, like putting a a little imperfection or a little, you know, it's like a little signature or a little ink splatter or something. Yeah. Don't they say that's how God gets in? Is is through the that imperfection i don't know where i heard that but i know it's in the native american tradition too they always weave their tapestries or their carpets or their um, blankets with a slight imperfection and i heard that that's how the divine gets in or that's how the yeah you know that's wonderful i hadn't heard that but i believe it and as you say that i mean very few things in the natural world are perfectly symmetrical, right? Yeah. Even the moon, it's kind of a little bit cattywampus. <laughs> um, and I always, when I think of that, I think of my breasts, you know, they're not <laughs> like identical or there's always little kind of like nuances and signature to everything has its own unique personality. Mm-hmm. So again, this is where we're imposing structures which then limits the experience yeah don't become self-limiting or (laughs) (laughs) self-negating so i'm i've been thinking a lot about the in specifically in asana practice, but this can be in life too, is going from the detail-oriented work of exactly where to place my hands and, you know, how my shoulders are on my back to, like you say, that the larger field and the more feeling sense. And I know in your own 
um, teaching you've been playing with that. <coughs> I'm someone who appreciates both the details and the feeling. And I'm, I wonder if you can talk more about that. Yeah. Well, I think this really dovetails nicely into la um, our last podcast, which is like when, you know, they're little up till the age about of approximately 12, just let them play and let them enjoy. Um, and then there is about like learning how to navigate your physiology. And so that also, you know, as I was reflecting on this, um, I thought of a, you know, the template of the kosha. And so, you know, in the beginning, <clears throat> we're working with, um, with Anamaya Kosha, the food sheath. So everything that's tangible, right? The musculature, um, you know, the skeletal system, the skin, etc. And we're just kind of like making these shapes. Um, we're working on with what is what is tangible. And kind of getting to know maybe what's possible where there's limitations are those healthy limitations or are they something that can be explored and made less um have less tensility and that maybe there's more choices and we we start to learn you know like that there's just basic functionality that's a hinge joint that's a ball joint that's a saddle joint how things work and how they don't work and we can relate that also to just kind of having fun and seeing seeing what what that vehicle can do. And then we start to shift into pranamaya kosha, which is more our physiological sheath. Okay, we start to explore, wow, you know, if I relax, or I even use PNF, proprioceptic neurofacilitation. I'm in Bhadakonasana, and instead of putting my hands on my thighs to get my thighs to drop. If I resist my thighs into my hands, I'm creating this, um, this uh, neuromuscular feedback in which there's a resistance and it, it kind of like triggers that Golgi tendon organ release where the, the synapse then sends a, a, a signal to the fascia to release and there's kind of a letting down or letting go and i can work with my physiology i can also work with my breath if i breathe in a certain way and i'm calm and i'm relaxed i have more choices i can make more shapes i can explore a greater range of possibilities and then of course when we do that when we're working with our physiology um, we're starting to tap into like, why do I want this so bad? Do I have an idea of perfection? Am I coming from a place of not being enough? Am I competing with someone? Am I competing with myself? So now we're starting to see like what's embedded in our nervous system and the way that these consistent patternings reveal as our personality and how we feel about ourselves and how we move in the world and what is maybe obvious to others but has evaded us and so by tapping into the breath now we're starting to touch into the more internal body and the internal sheaths um, <clears throat> and this wakes us up to manamaya kosha which is really like how i think about things 
when we think about things, we do it through Vitarka. We do it through words and concepts. So it is what it is, but then I then like cast the light of, ooh, I like it, or oh, I don't like this, or I want it different, or this is good, or this is bad. We go into that black and white thinking and we start to observe the um, discursive mind and the stories that have been told about us, vritti sarupyam itaratra, the stories of who we are, who we're meant to be, how we haven't measured up or how we are the darling and all these stories. And then of course, it's about like investigating these stories and seeing maybe that the truth behind them and the myth behind them, the archetypes and who we are. So we start to begin to investigate our own mind. And then from there, we go into Vigyana Maya Kosha, which is the wisdom. As soon as we see the story, we're like, wait a minute, that's a story, but is that the story I want to live out? Or wow, there's some truth there. So we start to see things more from a um, unbiased perspective. And then we go into Ananda Maya Kosha, which is kind of like, wow, this is the story without beginning or end. And there's such a bigger story behind it. Like all of these stories lead to deeper questioning. So, I mean, I know that this is a big question, but it felt like a good framework to talk about it. And, you know, I think we, or I know that we have to start somewhere, right? So where, um, you know, Patanjali's system is very pragmatic, right? We're starting from shtula, which is the tangible, the extrinsic, to sukshma, which is the more subtle intrinsic layers. And, you know, I, I feel like we, we gain a certain level of competence in a certain area. And then if we have good teachings, and good mentorship, we're going to be like, oh, wow, there's another layer here to explore. And then as we do that, you know, if we're functional, like if we're really practicing yoga, psycho spiritual maturity, there's going to be some, some psychotherapy there. There's going to be some curiosity about our um, personal folklore. And then even the folklore of yoga. The tradition of yoga, right? That's Vajaya, like, whoa, even the Buddha was tested up to his last day, even the Christ, right? They had to descend, they had to face demons, they had to go into the underworld, and they had to really like get clear into what they wanted to make their God or their aspiration, where they were coming from, and, and develop that sense of commitment which is even deeper than something that we seeing is believing. It's a deeper kind of a commitment, which is also that commitment to not really knowing and getting comfortable in that place, which for most people brings anxiety. Just tell me what to do. Tell me how it should be done, you know? Um, so like for me, 
I'm kind of going inside and outside and here and there. And it, 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 it's like, you know, I'm touching all of these layers, you know, and I don't feel like any part of it is left behind. So fortunately with enough practice and application and good teachings, you know, as Patanjali says in two, in 247, Prayatna Shaitilyananta Samapatipyam. That eventually, you know, when you've developed enough um, uh, fluency in your own system and fluency with the teachings, we could say that they're even taken into heart, then it becomes part of our structure. It becomes part of our being. And we don't have to go like, you know, like let's say somebody who's really skilled at changing the oil on their car, they don't have to open up the manual and read 30 pages on it. They know how to do it. And they're able to, you know, oh, I, you know, all the time they're innovating. So then we go into this greater integrity, our parasympathetic nervous system naturally starts to guide us and open up new pathways. And there's a lot of discovery in that. And of course, it's always revealed through our breath. So it's like, we're gonna, we gotta start somewhere. And every time I start with downward dog, I do the same thing. I check, but then I'm like, oh, there's my obsessive perfectionist. I don't even need to have that thought anymore. And I leave it be. And then I start to explore the thread of movement and then feel into my breath and then feel into, you know, then even like in the sutras on pranayama, Patanjali says, then eventually like in, in pranayama, um, there's a loosening in the system in which you don't feel yourself as separate in the space. So now I'm feeling like the cosmos breathing through me. And now me isn't even there. And then I feel like, oh, wow, I'm not feeling response in the back half of my pelvic floor. There'll be like a little inkling that comes in. And as soon as I have that inkling, there's a response. And again, it's that, that polishing sense. There is due diligence again, you know, and that's that first word in the sadhanapada, tapas. You have to be willing to do the work. And if you take it casually, and if you're sporadic, um, or you think it should be easy, now you can have ease even when it's not easy, right? Well said. Yeah. So then it becomes an incredible adventure in which you're discovering things all the time. It's like they say, you can't go in the same river twice. So I love how, um, you know, it's, it's that sense of like the psychonaut where you're, you're about to go on this adventure or even, um, you know, something that Nicola and I've been doing, which has been scuba diving. And in places that I've swam for 30 years, 
And now I'm starting to go into the underworld, you know, into the fish, fishy world, the, the ocean world of nature. And it's always changing. So I'm going down there and I'm just kind of like tuning in. And I love how primal it is because um, you like you kind of stop being human in that moment. And so as I'm getting into it now, I'm learning how to relax into it more. And also, I always have a trusty guide. You know, I have the dive master. And I, um, an amazing thing happened on the last dive. I came out. And of course, you know, you always check your tanks. And both the dive masters were completely floored by how little oxygen I used. They were just like laughing. They just couldn't stop laughing. They were like, we've been doing this for decades. We've never seen anybody use so little air. And I was like, I think I finally figured it out, you know? And it was pulling from the sutras where, you know, when you're underneath, they say breathe naturally, but you're kind of over breathing and you're over moving. They're really good divers. They barely move. And I learned how to kick, they say from your hip, but I'm kicking from my psoas. And when you do that, you get so much momentum. And instead of breathing deeply, I focus on complete exhalations. And then I would just pause and relax. And in that relaxation, because you're never really completely emptying your lungs, there's kind of like an expansion of the um, residual air within you. And then you just take in what you need. So I was actually really breathing, at, you know, and it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> so then the second dive, I went in and I was like, wow, I've got it down. I used way much more air because <laughs> <laughs> the ego is basically all puffed up and needs a lot of air. <laughs> but it's just amazing, you know, um, like when we have you know like a solidity in something how we can loosen up around it and then really go on that joy ride of like um you know it's a form of really like calculated play in which you loosen up i mean how did any of these beings these rishis and rishikas discover anything right or these brilliant luminaries that we look to, the Krishnamacharyas, the Shankaracharyas, the Iyengars, you know, the Deskachars. It's like these, because they were curious. They were curious. So again, we have the metric. What is it? Is it 10,000 hours? That seems, doesn't seem like enough. Actually. Yeah, three hours a day for 10 years. Uh. I don't know, maybe, maybe <laughs> a very, very long that. time, or they say seven years of intense study, who knows, whatever it is, but there is a point where, um, you know, you, you, you've got that dexterity and that fluency and that virtuosity in your body, where then there can be real, like that signature, you know, coming through and how one conductor will have, you know, have the orchestra play a piece versus another. That's where the real personality and the, the rasa or the juice or the flavor 
like, ooh, that teacher's spicy or that piece or that teacher is really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one's really sharp. That one's really smooth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wonderful. Anything else in summation? I mean, that was, thank you so much. That was excellent. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when, when we chant, for instance, Gayatri, and I really feel this is where, um, you know, maybe, you know, this, even this sense of being self-made or I'm going to go get it, um, or I'm going to do this thing um where of course you have to invest yourself and of course the level to which you invest yourself is what you're going to experience but we are held by something much bigger and this is why i'm loving this kaivalyapada and anybody who wants to jump in now is the time it's really so beautiful it's like where we really we step into a larger perspective and i just i will say this is coming out in real time this will be published march 1st so you're not too late to jump in do it now <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like a reframing in which you realize whoa like this has been seated within me there's something that's seated within me and there's like, I have been, I've come in with a mission, um, with a sensibility, with a unique strand. And to really follow that and lean into it and trust it. And as Ray put so beautifully, um, you know, I had him come in and talk to the last trainees and he was talking about, you know, his experience of yoga. He's been on the yogic path since he was like 19 and he's 61. And he said, what you start to see is like this perfection, I'll say, of synchronicity, that you are at the right place at the right time with the right people. So Gayatri is where you take a moment and you stop, right? Traditionally, it would be sunrise, noon, and sunset but it's where you step out of time. This is the second to the last sutra in the Kaivalyapada. And suddenly when time stops, you realize how everything has been unfolding. Like this larger, um, I'm getting chicken skin, this larger mandala where suddenly things make sense, the way things that unfolded, even though maybe it wasn't according to your design, there was a bigger design. So by bringing in like these mantras, they synchronize ourselves to another dimension of reality, which, um, you know, is the chaturtaha, the fourth dimension. Sure, there's going, timing is everything. That was our last podcast. But also, if we could step outside of time, which we can, you know, let's say we're, um, we're planting a seed or something, you know, and we're like just taking a moment to reflect like how all these elementals are coming together. 
which will then come into the full bloom. And we may even plant a forest that we won't see in this lifetime. So Gayatri is like where we're stepping outside of time and we're appreciating that there's a bigger arc that we can't really see, but we know it's going to come into its own fullness. And so that wouldn't happen unless there was right here, right now. And for all the people who are obsessed with being present, it doesn't deny where we've come from. And there's so many cycles within cycles. There's so many layers to all of this that it's so big that we lose our idea of ourself or maybe even ideas of perfection. And there's just this um, joyful release of being held by this bigger unfolding that really we are, um, you know, the eyes of the world. We are the hands, the hearts, the feet of creativity and the creator moving through. And it's um, what Ray's teacher Ananda Murti would say, it's the spiritualization of the ego. There's still room for growth. There's still room for reflection. And, um, but there's also like trusting in our own process and knowing that we have the capacity for diligence and that we're not going to shirk that responsibility. So sometimes Samadhi is described as a state of readiness and alertness. When you're in that state, you go, wow, I'm in the right place with the right people at the right time. And the raw resources are here. Let's be part of this magic together. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Om Hari Om Hari Om. So yeah, like even just taking that moment, Bhavanam, for intention. All right, I'm available. Let's make some magic. Let's make some love. Let's make some beauty. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. For more information about Bhavani Maki and her online and in-person teachings, including the Yoga Sutra Wisdom School, 
online Patanjali Yoga Sutra mentorship and her continuing classes and trainings, please visit www.bhavanimaki.com. That's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique, true spiritual awakening.